There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the Thank you once again for tuning to the Friday edition of the podcast. Just a quick reminder that this Sunday we'll be at the Mon Alto Bible Baptist Church in the park in Mon Alto, Pennsylvania. That'll be at 1030 and 6 p.m. Following Sunday, we'll be there with Brother Dale Morey, Lord Will, and that's going to be at 10 a.m. And then also again at 6 p.m. So just a reminder about that. Also, Vacation Bible School in Blaine next week. Feel free to contact us about that if you're interested. And we'd like to just get into the podcast today. We're going to be in Job 39. We've been speaking as God has been challenging Job with his righteousness. And really, what has he done? The Lord just continues that all through chapter 39. That's just where we get. The Lord is showing him his might and his power and what he has accomplished, what he is able to do. And he's doing that with natural things. He's speaking of things that can be seen. That's why Solomon, all his wisdom, he spoke of those natural things. He spoke of literally the birds and the bees, so to speak, but he spoke of those creeping things, and he had wisdom of those things because there's so much we can learn. We see the mighty hand of God in these things. And he says in verse 1, Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Well, God knows that. Why? Because God put that in them. God made them that way. There's a lot of people that are perverse, and they're filthy in their thinking. And uh, they think like animals, therefore they think animals are like them. But no, God made the animals a particular way. God gave them a season for those wild goats to bring forth. And he goes on and says, or canst thou mark when the hinds do calf? Yet God knows that. Why? God put that in them to do that. God gave them cycles also, uh, cycles of life, where they're going to bring forth those calves. And it's a wonderful, marvelous doing of God. Canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth, and every creature has its own time. I know a lady that has nine months. Some ladies are shorter. Some ladies are a little bit longer. Some ladies drastically shorter because of medical emergencies. But their normal time is nine months. Elephants are much longer. Other small animals like shrews and mice are much shorter. God knows these things. God prepared these things. Can you know these things? Do you understand these things? Well, science has studied that. They got it figured out in their wisdom and in their own thinking, but they don't understand the working of God in that. He says, they bow themselves. They bring forth their young ones. They cast out their sorrows. So even the animals have these sorrows. I've been there at the birth of many different types of animals, and I've watched especially a, I've watched that cow give birth and watched as she has suffered and travailed and she is lowing and mooing, and all of a sudden that baby comes forth. She turns around, licks the baby clean, eventually stands him up, and he begins to nurse. And it's a lot like a woman in travail. When that man-child is born of her, after that sorrow is passed, she forgets the sorrow. Why? Because a man-child's been born. And she loves that child and puts that child upon her breast and supples that child. And what a marvel that is. What a wonder. It's a wonderful doing of God. 
And I'm not trying to relate us to the animals, but that's what he's speaking of here. They cast out their sars. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth and return not unto them. Why? Because God has done that. That's a wonderful thing. It's a marvelous thing. We love watching the fawns in the spring. My children love seeing those little spots on those deer, and they call them baby deer and baby deer fawns and fawn deers and you know, everything they can conjure up to think of, but they understand that that baby is with his mother. But one day that young baby might grow into a mighty buck and God's going to take care of him and God's going to make sure his food is provided for him. He may be food for somebody else, not just a trophy on a wall, although that's not a bad thing, but he might be food for someone else. And that's a working of God. They return not to their mothers. Why? Because God raises them that way. Who, and by the way, God also raised a young man to go out from his father and mother and cleave under that young woman that's his wife. There's a lot of mama boys can't cut that cord today. Just an effeminate whip. They just can't get rid of that cord because they're just mama's boys. But they're to leave father and mother, to cleave under their wife. What does that mean? They become one with her and they go out and they join with her as much as I'm trying to live in mama's basement. That's a whole other message. I won't get into that. I'll let somebody else preach that. In verse 5, who has sent out the wild ass free? Where it's loose the bands of the wild ass. He's his whole house is I made I made in the wilderness and the barren land his dwellings. And so whose house he made? Who? The wild ass. He goes out there free, but God made him a house. What's his house? The entire wilderness. He can go out there and stand the storms. He can stand the heat. He can stand the weather. Why? God made that his house. That's where he lives. That's what he does. God made him that way. Job, do you have understanding of this? Do you see these things? He scorneth the multitude of the city. Neither regardeth he the crying of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searcheth after every green thing. He'll dig and dig and search until he finds it. By the way, there's a picture there. There's a type there as well. People say they're seeking God, but they're not seeking God like that wild ass is seeking greenery. When a drought comes and that desert's dried up and that wild ass is out there in the wilderness and he can't find anything, you know what he does? He keeps searching and he searches and he searches and finally he finds a place where that little bit of a water course has left some residue of water in a mud and that little bit of green has sprung up. That wild ass sustains himself. He goes and he partakes of that that's been provided for him. He truly is seeking. He truly is looking for what God has given him. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib? As much thought in the unicorn, where some would say it's a rhinoceros, some say it's another type of a unicorn. It's a single horned animal. We understand that. I believe there's unicorns in the Bible that we don't know. They're not magical and fairies. They don't fly around with rainbow manes and they don't have little spirally horns on them that do magic tricks. No, but yes, what the word of God tells us about the unicorn is he willing to serve thee or abide by thy crib. Canst thou bind the unicorn with this band in the furrow? That's why many have the idea, of course, he's a rhinoceros. He has that horn, but can he serve you? Are going to keep him bound up? Are you going to get him to plow for you? Will he harrow the valleys after thee? doesn't matter what he is. Is he going to do that? No, he's not. Most people couldn't get a, a small deer to do that for them. You can't get an antelope to do that. They're too wild. God put that in them. They're not to be bound up. They're made to be free. Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? No. Why? He's an animal. He's not a man. He's an animal. That's what God is speaking of here. Yet God does that. God leaves him to, to take care of his own. God leaves him to take care of the field. God leaves him out there in that place. God sustains him. God takes care of him. One of the ones I've used many times is some of these next verses. Will thou believe him, though he will bring home thy seed and gather into thy barn? Are you going to trust a unicorn to do the work that you're called to do? Are you going to trust someone else to go out and take the seed? And by the way, you never can find a hireling to do the job of the master. 
A good servant will, but a hireling never will. He'll never do what his master requires. Why? He's lazy. He's a hireling. All he cares about the money. And so it is with so much of the clergy today. That's all they care about is the money. They won't do the will of God because they're worried about the finances. They won't bring the seed into the barn. Why? Because they're lazy. They're indifferent. It's all about financial gain to them. They have no concept of what it means to work for these things. Gavest thou the goodly wings under the peacocks or wings and feathers under the ostrich? And so, Job, when you look at the peacock, did you do that? No, God did that. And by the way, peacocks are marvelous. They're just beautiful creatures, incredible to watch. God gave them to us so that we could enjoy them, that we could see that, that we could realize it's a wonderful working of God. And he said, or wings and feathers under the ostrich. And then he asked this about the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them in dust and forgetteth that the foot may crush them or the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young ones as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. That's a tough old bird now, literally. I mean, she doesn't care about a young one. She leaves her eggs in the dust, gives no thought to them. But you know the thought that crossed my mind? I was just a novice preacher. This probably being 20 years ago or close to 20 years ago. And I was looking at that ostrich one day, and I was preaching at the nursing home. And it dawned on me, if we had flocks of ostriches flying around, we'd be in trouble. I mean, they'd be dropping things on your head, and they'd be coming in, landing in your yard, and tearing up your children, and tearing up your crops, and if you're driving a vehicle, of course, nowadays, you don't want to hit a flock of ostriches. Imagine a flock of ostriches flies in front of an airplane. No, God knew what he was doing. Very few ostrich young survive. Why? Because we'd have to be overrun with ostriches. But God gave her that lack of understanding. God did not give her understanding to coddle her young, to love her young, and to cherish her young. You know, there are birds that just could care less about their young besides her. You watch the kill deer in their yard. The kill deer is the one fakes injury and the other one distracts and they try to protect those babies. And those babies, once they're free from that nest, go running around in circles and they're just prey for all the other birds. Very few, few kill deer survive, yet some survive. But their parents have that instinct to protect them. That parents have that instinct to do what God put in them. But the ostrich doesn't even have that. She could care less. She doesn't care if the foot breaks them. She doesn't guard her nest. You can walk up and steal her eggs. Doesn't phase her one bit. You know why? She's hardened against her young ones, though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear, because God hath deprived her of wisdom. That's a marvelous work of God. Has nothing to do with evolution. It's a work of God. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. God did not give that ostrich any understanding of her young. That's a work of God. Yet ladies today, are, they're without natural affection. That wasn't the work of God. That was the work of sin. That was the work of hell. That was, by the way, the work of the teaching of evolution. That's what's taught. And therefore, they think they don't have to love their young. Yet God gave them an understanding. God gave them a natural affection. They rejected that natural affection. The ostrich didn't have to do that. God just didn't give her any kind of affection at all. Gave her no understanding, no wisdom. But then it says, what time she lifted up herself on high, she scorneth the horse and his rider. Then he speaks of that mighty horse. And oh, thank God for that mighty horse. He says, hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? It is a marvelous thing to watch a horse. I'm not a horse person as far as ownership or currying or care or shoeing or cleaning up after especially. You know, if a, if a horse had a little litter box and he went in there, I might consider getting a horse. Uh, but horses, you really can't contain them in a litter box. You need a stall. You need a barn. You need a yard. And that's part of the problem with a horse. But yet, he's a mighty beast. He's a wonderful beast. He's a marvel. God says much about the horse, speaks well of the horse. Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? The glory of his nostrils is terrible. 
You see that stallion out there in the deserts in the Wild West, and you see those stallions of the wild horses on the East Coast, on the Sea Islands, and his might as he leads the his troop of horses, and he takes them across the waters, and he leads them down the beaches, and in the West, he leads them in the gullies and over the mountains, and he's a mighty beast. His nostrils are terrible. He has strength. He has power. God gave that to him. God imparted that to him. Yet the ostrich is standing by, and she could care less about that. She scorneth the horse and his rider. She has no idea. She has no idea the power in that horse. You know why? She has no understanding. Like a lot of people. He paused in the valley and rejoiceth in his strength. He goeth on to meet the armed men. And I love this next verse. I've used it so often preaching. He mocketh at fear and is not affrighted. Neither turneth he back from the sword. That's why a horse is a great, uh, a great steed to take into battle. Because he's not going to turn back. He's not afraid. He's just going to put his nose right towards that line of battle, and you're going to kick him once in the ribs, and he's going to shoot across there. There's no fear. Nothing scares him. Nothing startles him. The sword comes. The spear comes. God has put in that horse a power and a fearlessness that he can go into battle. That's a marvelous working of God. The quiver rattleth against him, the glittering spear and the shield. But the word of God said he swalloweth the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that is the sound of the trumpet. He said among the trumpets, and by the way, this is that call to battle. This is a horse on a battlefield. This is a horse with the swords and the spears and the banners and the men falling around him. He's running across that battlefield. His nostrils are ablaze. His ears are turned back. His mane is flowing. His tail is flowing. The sweat is pouring off him. His rider is going into the battle. He swallows that ground. He doesn't hear the trumpet. He doesn't care about the trumpet. He said among the trumpets, ha ha. And he smelleth the battle afar off. And the thunder of the captains and the shouting God has put that in him, Job. Could you do that? Job, do you even have understanding of that? Job, all that you've claimed and all your righteousness, do you know the marvelous working of God? Do you see the hand of God in these things? And my friend, do you see the hand of God in these things? How God made these animals to be so. He made that ostrich to be so. The peacock just sits on a fence post and looks beautiful. Spreads out that marvel of colors, that palette of colors across the skies, and people just marvel its beauty, and the ostrich is watching the horse go to battle, could care less, scorns him. She has no affection, no understanding, yet God made her so. God made that little hummingbird to chase off a hawk 25 times its size. I've seen sparrows chase eagles. I've seen God just put fearlessness in those little birds and a fierceness in those little birds I've watched a woodpecker come in on a suet and chickadees jump on that woodpecker and try to attack that woodpecker. They're fearless. They're brave. They're courageous. God put that in them. It's a little dog yapping at the window that nobody likes, but he's fearless. There's a dog 19 times his size out in the yard and eat him in one bite. And that little dog is fearless. You know why God put that in him? God made him that way. God made that ferocious little dog the way he is. And I know nobody likes him and nobody cares. Most people want to punt him, but God made him that way. God made you the way you are too, by the way. Your character has flawed that. The decisions of your life have flawed that, but God made you a unique individual. 
God gave some of you fearlessness. God gave some of you incredible strength. God gave some of you wisdom. God has imparted to some of you gifts that nobody else could have. And you've, you've just only just taken them and thrown them aside and discarded them and could care less about the gifts of God. But can I say to you, one of the marvels is to walk with God and use the gifts that God has imparted to you. That is to have understanding. When you can use the gift that God has given you, I've often said part of the reason God give, didn't give me a gift of singing is I'd probably be in Nashville today singing. God didn't give me the gift of music. I'd probably be in Las Vegas playing a stage show. What God did give me gifts for are to preach the word of God and to speak the word of God. I do it differently than anybody else. I do it more unique than anybody else. I am my own person. I am an individual. And God has given me some of these gifts and some of this understanding. And God has tried to give me more, but I'm just not not smart enough to figure it out, or I'm too indifferent to figure it out. At times, I'm too carnal to figure it out. But don't blame God for my shortcomings, and don't blame God for your shortcomings. God's imparted gifts to you. That's what he's trying to teach him here. Look what God's done to these animals. Do the hawk fly by the wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south? Let the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high. No, God does that. It's a marvelous work of God. She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock, and the strong place, who the eagle does. Why? Because God put her up in the heights. Why did God put her in the heights? He gave her eyes to see that she can see from the heights and discern from the heights, and she can float above this world, and you and I can marvel at her wisdom and marvel at her power and marvel at her strength, and you and I can see that and know there's a God in heaven that also considers our frame and our frailties. From thence she seeketh the prey, then he tells in verse 29, and her eyes behold afar off. Long before science knew all this, God had all this figured out. It took scientists forever to figure out about the eagle and the hawk and the horse and the ostrich, and the peacock and the unicorn. It took them forever. God knew all this. Her young ones also suck up blood. And where the slain are, there she is. Why? Because God made her that way. I've heard people say, Eagles only like live food. They don't like carry-on. Well, God said it differently. He said their young suck up blood. I've seen eagles crawl out of deer carcasses. I've seen eagles eating a dead skunk on the road. They don't care. They're scavengers. God made them to be so. Them fishing's a marvelous thing to watch. You watch an osprey hovering over the water. Watch a fish eagle over the water. Watch a bald eagle over the water catching fish. It's a marvel to behold. You know what? God has imparted those gifts to them. God has given them that understanding. And can I say to you, my friend, if you have any understanding, it's from God. And if God's opened up your eyes in the slightest bit, it's a gift from God. It's not your righteousness. It's not what you've done. It's a gift from God. Would you utilize the gifts that God has given you? Don't be, don't be timid about those gifts. I ask people have that false humility, that false piousness. You know, be confident with the gifts God has given you. Find out what you're good at. Find out the abilities you have. Don't become lethargic in the ways of your life, but rather be what God wants you to be. Would you have a great weekend? We'll be back, Lord willing, with Job chapter 40 next week. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website 
or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing, for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.